I just love how everyone always crams into the back of the auditorium. I'm one day gonna, when we, when we build our own church, I'm gonna make seats where if you can sit in the background, they like transport you like a roller coaster underground to the front. <laughs> so you'll be like, oh, I'm sitting in the back, and the next moment you're in the spitting rows. That's what they normally call the front ones. But um, I already said welcome to everyone here. To everyone who's watching online today, welcome to you as well. We are today, I can't believe it, in the third part, in the final part of our series, How to Change Your Life, in three easy steps. And this series is about our vision. Our vision is simple. It says this, connecting people to life-changing relationships up in and out. We believe that life change best happens within relationships. It is really hard to change anything in your life, even a simple thing like changing your diet, even a simple thing like going to the gym. It's really hard to do those kind of things when you try to do it on your own. It's easier when you have people surrounding you that kind of like moves you forward, that helps you to continue with this. But we, we already spoke about the first two steps. We're going to recap them in a moment. But I wanted to share a story with you first. Years ago, after I finished high school, um, I kind of knew this was what I was supposed to do with my life, but I wanted to get away from it for a while. My dad was also a pastor, so I went into marketing. And back then, it was, I love marketing. It's so much fun. I'm a people person, so I love being in front of people, and I love selling people stuff. I've been an entrepreneur since I was born, and um, I was always selling something out of our backyard, like flowers, and I made these little envelopes. I still have some of them, and I sold it for 10 cents or 20 cents to everyone who came to the church office. It's kind of like you can't say no to the pastor's kid when he's selling you something, right? So I was making some money, but then I did marketing for a year, and um, we one day had this, this training with the guy that invented the Mazda Zoom Zoom campaign. So that whole campaign, he, he invented that. And basically, his whole training was about this. He said, you cannot effectively sell anything in life if you do not believe in it. You see, the best marketers in the world are not the guys that are um, the best speakers. They are not the guys with, with the most brains or the biggest muscles or whatever. The best marketers in the world, the guys who will sell ice to an Eskimo, those guys are guys who believe so much in their product that they believe it will change your life. So even if you don't need it, you will say yes, because they, they are just bubbling over with this passion for, for this product, and, and they are so excited about what it's going to do to your life that you start to believe it's going to do that to your own life, and at the end of the day, you say yes to this thing, and you buy something that you never needed, like a 20,000 Rand vacuum cleaner, right? Guys who really believe in the products are the best marketers. And I was thinking about Christianity. I was thinking about our faith. I'm like, shouldn't that be the same when it comes to our faith? Shouldn't it be a case where, where we're so excited, where we're so passionate about what God is changing in our lives that we can't help but share it just like as far as we go? We are supposed to be the best marketers the world has ever seen. And if you're like, how can you say that? That's literally what we see happening in the book of Acts. Those guys with every single deed, every way they acted, every time they received someone that needed a place to stay, every time they helped someone in need, their deeds were just so full of passion and so full of Jesus that people couldn't help but just like buy it from them, if I can say it that way. Here's the problem why I think in the Western world today, Christianity is declining. So in Europe, there's not a lot of churches left. Um, in America, they say 80% of churches are declining. So it means they either stop growing or they're going downward. I think it was the first time in 2014 when they surpassed the amount of churches closing, 3,000 a year, were churches that were being planted. 
So it seems like we look at churches, we're like, there's so many around, there's so, so many big churches, like the church is doing good, but actually population keeps growing while the church number stays basically the same. And I'm like, why is that happening? And here's a theory that I had. And then I started to research. I believe that we, everyone that's living in this age, are probably the most self-centered people than everyone ever before us. And you might be like, how can you say that? I think social media, that's unlike what, 10 years old, has played, or 20 years old, 10 years? Yeah, 10 years. Has played a big role in creating this thing where our life focuses more and more on myself. So everything I post is, is about myself, how good my life is. I don't often share the bad stuff. Everything I see on social media, it is so good. So I want to be like that. So we tend to focus everything more and more on ourselves. We fo focus our money on ourselves. We focus our time on ourselves. And then I read this study, and this blew me away. So I'm like, I'm not that far off, okay? The um, U.S. National Institute of Health, so this is American, but I think there's a lot of similarities across the world. Um, they say today that someone living in India, 25-year-old in India, is closer to someone living in New York that's 25 years old, can relate more to them than someone living in New York that's 25 now can relate to someone that left 60 years ago in New York that was also 25. There's more similarities between two people on different continents because of the Internet of the same age than they would have been with someone living in the same city a couple of years back. But anyway, this is what they said. U.S. National Institute of Health found this. They said narcissistic personality disorder. So that's like it's all about me. Everything in life should be to benefit me, should be to help me. Narcissistic personality disorder are three times as high for people in their 20s living today, for people in their 20s today, than in the generation that's now 65 years or older three times higher. And the study kind of continued how they tracked all of this. But what they're basically saying is people are developing narcissistic personality disorder because everything in the world, marketing, social media, the way we live, everything is pointing everything back to me. And it is really hard. It is really hard, I think, to process the needs of other people when I'm so preoccupied with myself. And I place myself exactly there, guys. It is so easy to think about my own needs, what's going on in my life and the life of my family, what's going to happen in the next 10 years, the next 20 years, the next 50 years. And it gets so easy to focus so much on that that I forget about the needs of other people around me. But this is the interesting part, and this is what I love living, why I love living in South Africa. And a lot of people hate South Africa for this. I love South Africa for this. You cannot walk out of the door without running into the needs of someone else at every traffic light, every street, in every school, at every workplace, every single day, you are faced with numerous, numerous people who need some form of significant life change in their lives. So I think we are in a place, we're living in a time when God wants to use us so much to sell the most amazing thing to sell, in brackets, the most amazing thing you can ever sell to anyone, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you experience true life change, I believe there's no other way for you than to just go and live it out, to just share it with everyone. In fact, Jesus in John 4, 4 verse 14, Jesus was talking to this, this, this woman and he was kind of like having a discussion with her, and he, and he talked about this living water that she didn't get. He was talking about himself, about her accepting Jesus. 
And it doesn't make sense to her. And then Jesus said these words in verse 14. He says, if you, if you drink of this living water, so Jesus like, if you accept me into your life, if you accept the life change that I bring, Jesus said this, it will become like a fountain in you bubbling over. So Jesus was literally saying, you cannot experience the life change I bring without just bubbling over for me. You cannot help it. It's just natural. It's like that marketer who believes so much in his product, he cannot help but sell it to you. So let's quickly recap and and work back. So what is our steps to life change? And maybe today, there's nothing significant you want to change in your life. Then I'm like, good job for you. You are amazing. Like, I still have a lot of stuff I need to change, so I hope there's some of you as well. The first step we need to, to, to take if we want to change anything in our lives, where's my first slide? That went missing. The first step we need to, to do is we need to connect to Jesus. That's the first thing we need to do. Why? Because inside of us, there's all these voices. There's so much noise from the world that will tell you to do everything that will just benefit yourself, even if it's bad for everyone around you. And I believe there's only one voice that's loud enough to drown out all the noise in our lives, to drown out all the noise from the world, and that is the voice of Jesus. He will move us. His voice will move you from death to life. He will give you a new start. But the second step we said, step two, is to build relationships. That is the in part. So the first part is the up part of our vision. The second part is the in part. We're talking about authentic community, not crowds that you hang out with, not contacts on your Facebook, but true authentic community. Why? Because change is fragile. The moment you think you got it, the moment that you, that you experience the life change that Jesus brings, five minutes later, it's gone again. It's so fragile. But when we live in authentic community, that's why Jesus wants us to be part of a church and not just try to do this on your own. Because our friends in Jesus are like retaining walls. They help to protect the, the, the change that we're experiencing. And when you are too weak to continue on that path, guess what? You've got friends that can keep you up. You can rely on their faith. They will keep you up. And today we're getting to the third step. What's our third step when we want to experience true life change? And that's what we talked about just now. We have to expand the joy. We have to expand the joy, share the change that we've experienced. And you might be like, Louis, how, how is sharing the change going to help me change? And you will see. It's interesting. It's like two sides of a coin. Okay, so let's read from Luke 8 this morning. We're going to read from Luke 8. If you've got your Bibles, you're welcome to open. We're going to read verse, let me say this first, verse 41 to 42. Then we're going to take a quick break because in, in the next couple of verses, there's another miracle that we're not reading about today, and then we're getting back to the same story in verse 49, okay? So this is what we'll be reading. Luke 8, verse 41. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came, and he fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. While Jesus was still speaking, so now in the meantime, another lady comes across Jesus' path. He heals her. So between the time that Jairus called him and said, Jesus, you need to come and heal my daughter. She's dying. Some time elapsed. And then this happens in verse 49. Appearance, worst nightmare. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, a synagogue leader, and he said this, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Stop bothering Jesus. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter. We're wailing and mourning for her. And stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. 
So they laughed at Jesus, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and he said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned and at once she stood up. And then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Their parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what has happened. Guys, that's still where we're going to read. This is the interesting part to me about the story. This Jairus was a synagogue leader, so he was part of the Jewish community. But clearly, in some way or another, he must have had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. Why do I say that? You don't just walk up to a random guy and ask him to heal your daughter that's dying unless you know he's capable of doing something to that situation. So he might have heard something about Jesus. He might have been healed by Jesus. He might have heard Jesus talking. But somewhere, Jairus probably experienced some form of life change for him to go to Jesus to bring another person's need before Jesus and say, Jesus, do to her what you did to me. Bring her from death to life as you did for me. And But here's what's interesting. When we read this story, there's three groups of people. And I want to, as we go through this this morning, I want you to just like examine your own heart for a bit and say like, where, where am I this morning? Who am I of these three groups of people? And basically, this is, this is what I learned when I read the story, that you choose your attitude towards people in need of life change. All around us, there's a world in need of life change. You and I need change, but there is a world filled with 7 billion people and counting in need of life change. And no one is going to decide how you're going to handle it. No one is going to decide what you're going to do with it except for you. You choose what you're going to do with it. Let's look at the three groups of people and how they reacted differently to people who needed life change. The first group of people we read about were the people who came to Jesus and said to Jairus, Jairus, your daughter is dead, so stop bothering Jesus. This is the same Jesus that has already raised some other people from the dead. Jesus didn't really attend funerals. He raised people if he went to a funeral. But these people come and they say, you know what, Jairus, you and your daughter are not important enough. Like, we've got our needs. We need to hear Jesus speak. We need Jesus to do something in my life. I am so in need of change. Everything is so much about myself. I'm so self-obsessed. I'm such a narcissist that I don't want that person to get to Jesus. I don't want to invite them. I don't want to take them along on the journey. I'm not going to help them because it's all about me and what I can get out of the deal. Those are the people who would look past people in need and ignore them because they think that they are more important. Or they think they need the money more than, than someone in need. That's the first group. I'm not saying it's anyone here, but if the shoe fits, then put it on. The second group, and this is where I think most of us probably fall, are the people when Jesus finally got to the house. We read that there was a whole bunch of people that were crying and wailing. Is that appropriate? Yes. Because a 12-year-old daughter just died. And if you've ever been to a child's funeral... It is hard. And by the way, any of us can die at any moment. But there's something inside of us that just makes us feel like we should go before our children. We can't help it. I've been to many funerals of young people. I've buried a seven-month-old baby, and it is tough. It never gets easier. So were, were the response appropriate? Was it appropriate that they thought there's no more hope left? Yes. But these people are the pessimists. Because when Jesus said, don't worry, I can still do something. No one is out of reach of me. I can change a life when every other attempt they've made has failed. 
What did they do? They started laughing at Jesus. Yes, and I think often we fall in that group. We might not intentionally start laughing at what God is saying in his word, but in our hearts, we don't often believe what we read. We look at people and we think like that person on the street, there's no way they will ever change. That alcoholic, like we, so many people have tried, he's been into rehab so many times, there is no way anything in his life will happen. That person's life is in such a mess, it will never change. South Africa, come on, have you seen South Africa? There's no way, we're going south, South Africa will never be a thriving country anymore. Our economy is going down, everyone's going to die, it's just going to be horrible. I think that's where most South Africans are. I think at least most middle class and upper middle class and wealthy South Africans. We have lost all hope. We read about a God that says, like, nothing is impossible to me. When they said she's dead, Jesus is like, just believe. She's not out of reach of me. No situation is without hope when the king of the universe will intervene in it. But we feel like this. Our response might be appropriate when we look at the chaos going on around us. When we look at murders and violence and all of that, our response to cry and wail is actually appropriate. But the moment when we don't believe that Jesus can do something about it, that is when we turn into the guys who's laughing at Jesus. That's when we've lost our hope. That's when we've lost our faith in Jesus. That's the moment when we rather complain instead of praying. Try to do this. Every situation that you face this week that you feel are impossible, every situation that seems like it's hopeless, try to reverse your complaining about it and try to bring it before God. That situation at work that you're having such a hard time with, try to stop complaining about it and take it to Jesus. I've challenged some people over the last couple of weeks and almost every time when they took it to Jesus, it changed. That situation that you think is impossible, let's start praying for it. Every time in the world where a great revival broke out, where God literally changed the face of a country, it started with some people who were so broken, who were wailing and mourning the condition of the country that they couldn't stop taking the country before God. The second group, the third group, that's the people I want to be. But that's a, really, that's a really difficult group to fall into. Those were a small hand of people. Those were the parents. There was a man, Jairus, that went to Jesus and said, Jesus, my daughter is dying. There's nothing that the medicine of that time could do for him. There's nothing that anyone could do except for you. She was already dead in her bed, and Jesus is come with me. And they went with Jesus, and they didn't care that people were mourning. They didn't care that people were wailing. They didn't care that people were laughing because they had hope that Jesus could change something. They are the intercessors. They are the people who look at a world in need and instead of complaining about it, instead of being hopeless about it, they say, like, my God can change anything. You know what I love about people who didn't know Jesus? People that are atheists, people that are agnostic, people that are of other faiths and then me, Jesus. I see something in their lives that I almost never see in the lives of people that grew up with Jesus. I'm one of those guys who grew up with them, like Timothy. My dad was a pastor, my granddad was a pastor, everyone in my family has been pastors and missionaries. But what I see in the lives of those people, they get in a place where it's so dark, where it's so hopeless, where they feel they're on the deathbed, they need Jesus, the lives turn 180 degree, they can't help but spread it because they believe that if Jesus could change their lives, they could change, he could change the life of other people as well. The problem often when you grow up in Christianity is that you just take it as something that's part of your tra tradition, something that's part of your culture. So you don't really share it because it hasn't really done anything in your life. So you should move past that point. 
to get to this point where we're like this father. We're like, Jesus, nothing is out of reach. And I'm going to intercede for others. Because that is the heart that Jesus has. The moment when people came to Jairus, when he said, Jesus, please help. And they said, your daughter is dead. Leave Jesus alone. The situation is hopeless. Who responds immediately? Just like this. Jesus. Verse 50. When people try to cut Jairus off, Jesus steps in. He's like, you know what? You just keep believing. You just keep praying. You just keep hoping because your daughter will live. You see, that is who Jesus is. Jesus has a heart. He said in the Bible that he came for those in need. He came for the prisoners. He came for the broken. He came for those who don't believe. He came for everyone who needs life change, everyone who needs hope. That's his heart. And this is an amazing parable in the Bible. We actually shared it this week at our Step Into Faith class where where Jesus tells this parable about this woman and and he compares the kingdom of heaven with this. He compares God's kingdom that's unfolding around us to this woman who loses a coin. And she goes and she finds this coin. And when she finds this coin, she throws a party for all her friends. And then Jesus says this. He says, every time one sinner, every time a single person that missed the mark that God had for their life, that missed the purpose God has for their life, every time one person that needed life change, when they meet Jesus, this is what Jesus himself said. He says, the angels in heaven throws a party before God. Every time when someone that you thought, a situation that you thought is hopeless turns around, there's a party in heaven. And if there's one in heaven, it should be one here as well. But I think this is what we miss. We often go to Jesus for life change and we don't realize that we have to share it. But but this is how life change works. It's kind of like, and and I want to read something to you. It's kind of like the two sides of a coin, I don't know if someone has a, has a coin here. But if you take a coin, on the one side there's the value of the coin, and on the other side there's normally the, the, the badge of the, um, the, the icon of the country. It could be a queen, it could be um, the country's flag, it could be anything. But that is, the two sides are needed to give that coin value, right? The one side that tells you how much value this is, and the other side that tells you it's official. And this is basically what, what the Bible tells us about Christianity as well. It's like two sides of a coin. On the one, let me read this to you first. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. This is what Paul writes. He says, if anyone is in Christ, so if anyone took the first step to connect with Jesus, he says the new creation has come. Jesus moves you from death to life. He gives you a new beginning. He wipes out your past. He wipes out the bad parts. He says the old has gone, the new is here. And then in verse 18, he says this. All this is from God. It's not you are so great. You have to accept him, but it comes from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And hear this and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So this is what what Paul is saying. If you experience life change, you automatically get the ministry of life change. If you experience hope, you automatically get the ministry of hope. It's not a choice. It's two sides of a coin. Jesus is not a product that you consume where it's the one side of the coin and you're like, come Jesus, come and change me. Like, forget about Jairus, Jairus, forget about his daughter, come and do something in me. That's one side of a coin, it's not Christianity. Christianity is also not just a humanitarian organization where we go about and like try to help people because at the end of the day it will benefit me because I will feel good about myself and the change I've done. Christianity is a two-sided coin where I go to God because I need change, step one, 
And then because of the change I experienced, step three, I cannot help but just share it with everyone else. It just bubbles over. Guys, if Jesus is so passionate about people that's far from him, if Jesus is so passionate about helping this little girl, if Jesus is so passionate that he said, I came for prisoners, I came for the broken, I came for the unbelievers, how on earth can we not be passionate about this? How can we call ourselves Christians if you do call yourself Christian? If you don't, go back to step one first. But I'm not talking to you. But if you call yourself a Christian, I want to tell you, if you're not passionate about this, we're missing the heart of God. And it might be time for you to get on your knees and start praying this prayer and say, Jesus, break my heart for the things that breaks yours. What's so crazy to me is how God chooses to involve us in his work. He doesn't need to use me. He doesn't need to use you. He didn't need to invite anyone up into that room. In fact, in, in, in Luke 19 verse 40, people told Jesus to tell his disciples to stay quiet, to stop sharing him with everyone. And he's like, listen, if they stay quiet, the stones will, will shut it out. He's like, literally this, if you're not doing your work, if you're not sharing this ministry, if you're not spreading life change, if you're not spreading hope, the rocks will do it. They will obey me. Like, God has a need to use us, guys. We don't, we don't have to serve in the church. We don't have to be part of this. We get to be part of it. It is a privilege where Jesus is like, come and join me in the room. Come and see this girl that's dead. See her life change. He didn't have to do that. But still, Jesus invites them into this room. He invites us on this journey. It is a privilege to have that ministry of reconciliation. Why? Because there is an expanding joy a joy that just keeps going further and further, that multiplies and grows when we share in the life change of others. See, on the one side, I'm experiencing joy. On the one side of the coin, I'm experiencing hope because I changed. But the moment I start sharing it and other lives start changing, it does something to me. They change, but I change as well. Some people gave up on the daughter of Jairus. They're like, it's too late. The parents held on. They're like, our situation is not hopeless. There's hope for these people that need life change. They go to Jesus. Jesus invites the mom, the dad, some of his disciples up into the room. And this dead girl that everyone thought was out of reach for Jesus, she wasn't out of reach. And with the most simple statement, help get up. The Greek, it's two words. Aramaic as well. That's it. Child, get up. With two words, Jesus moves this girl's life from darkness to light, from death to life. A voice so loud that he drowned all darkness, that it restored hope in a hopeless situation. That is what the voice of Jesus does with a single sentence. He can change everything in your life and he can change everything in the lives of people that you want to share this change with. Your neighbors, your the co-workers, your enemies, the homeless people, the drunks, the skeptics, the whoever. And then, and this is the part that I wanted to get to because this is my favorite part, yeah? There's a result that happens because of the daughter that's saved. Verse 56, we read in the New International Version that we just read from, that the people were astonished. I thought, that's cool. They're like, yeah, that's, this is cool. 
I can imagine as a parent like what that must have done. But then in the New Living Translation, they translated a little different. They said the parents were overwhelmed. I'm like, okay, that gets closer to a child coming back from death to love. Like, I'm overwhelmed, okay? But then I was like, I was sitting at my computer on Friday. I'm like, I wonder what the Greek word is for this. So, so I, I looked at the Greek, and the Greek word is existesan. And it comes from the word existemi that means this. To displace. So I'm like, yes, that's a weird word. But then they said this. This is the literal translation of the word. To remove something from a standing position. Can you imagine this? It doesn't say they were overwhelmed. They said the parents were literally removed from their standing position. Their daughter got up. They saw life change. And the only response they had was they were removed from a standing position onto their knees, onto their face on the ground. And I think they were just praising Jesus. Another way that, that helps word studies translated, it says this crazy word. I love this word. We should use this word more. It says that we're flabbergasted. Like, I don't even know what it means really, but it's such a cool word. It says that we're stupefied. It's like that moment when your brain cuts out. You, you're just so amazed. It's so awesome. Like, you don't know what to do with it. That is when your faith just starts bubbling over. It, you're not happy. You're not joyful. You're not, it, it blows your mind. You move from your feet to your face. There is an expanding joy that happens when we share in the life change of others. You might have felt joyful when your own life changed. You might have felt joyful when you prayed about a situation and God turned it around 180 degrees. And by the way, if you are facing a situation like this today, we're going to pray for you after this service. You come to the front and I will pray for you. And this is, this is the confidence I have in God. We're going to pray for it this morning and God will change it. Because that's a God I serve. A God whose voice brought a girl from death to life in a moment. So afterwards, come to the front. If you're watching this online, you type us a comment and we'll pray for you. It's that simple. But the moment we see someone else change, it's not just a joy, it's not just awesome, it's not just cool, it's not just hope that's in me again. I am left at that place where I moved, where I am removed from my standing position where I'm so overwhelmed, so flabbergasted, so stupefied that I cannot even explain it. It is amazing to experience that life change in other people. It's amazing to be part of that journey. It is amazing. You, you, can, you can stay outside the room. And you can mourn and you can wail and you can complain and you can laugh. Or you can say, like, Jesus, use me. I want to go up into this room with you. But being in that room with Jesus where he does what only he can do, that will leave you without, that will leave you speechless. And you can share. You've got a story and I don't know where you are today. Maybe today you need to give your first step to accept Jesus. Maybe today you're giving your second step to build a relationship with this church community. I don't know where you are on your journey, but you're on a journey. And you've got something that you can share with someone else. You've got something you can share from this morning. But we can share it. And I want to tell you today, if you're maybe at the place where you feel everything is hopeful, hopeless, start bringing it before God. If you are at a place where you don't even feel the pain of other people, maybe it's time to start praying and saying, God, like, move my heart for what moves you. But Jesus said this crazy thing that Paul quotes in Acts. Crazy thing. 
Paul talks about how they should support the weak, how they should help people who need life change. And then he says this. He says, when you help these people, remember the words of Jesus. And then he quotes Jesus. He says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. What? It is better to give than to receive. It's better for you to give away your faith. It's better for you to give a Give it to someone else. It's better for you to give away life change. It's better for you to give away hope. It's better for you to give away joy than just to receive it for yourself. Receiving it for yourself is awesome, but it is flabbergasting when you share it somewhere else. Better to give than to receive. When we give Jesus, when we give life change, when we give hope, we receive an unspeakable joy. And it makes our own life change so much more sweet. Have to take a first step to connect with Jesus. Otherwise, nothing will change. You will try, but you will fail over and over. You have to connect with other people that will build the retaining walls to keep you going in this life change. But you have to share it if you truly want to experience the joy of life change. Better to give than to receive. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for life change. Thank you that no situation is ever without, outside of your reach. Not Jairus' daughter, not death, not darkness, not sin, not our situation in our marriage, not our situation at work, not our situation with our families. No matter what we are facing, our studies, whatever we're facing, it is not outside of your reach. I pray, Lord, that you would move in our own lives, that you would change something so significantly in me that it will just, that my joy will just be a fountain bubbling up that we cannot help but share it with every single person we encounter, everyone at work, everyone at home, everyone at school, everyone wherever we go, that we will just share the life change with others so that they can experience it for themselves. And I pray, Lord, may we be part of that upper room experience. Invite us into that, Lord. Make us part of it so that we can also be removed from our standing position. That we can also be filled with so much joy that it will be unspeakable. Teach us what it means when he said it's better to give than to receive. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.